mind that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. Who am I? Welcome to Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. We're glad you could join us as we teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today's lesson is one in which we know you'll be enlightened to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to Pastor Greg as we launch today's lesson on Who Am I? Good morning. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be beginning in verse 16 this week. If you remember, we began in the book of Mark last week. It's John Mark. He was not one of the disciples. He was Barnabas' cousin. If you remember, he turned back on the first missionary journey. Caused a pretty big argument between Barnabas and Paul on the second missionary journey, which created a couple different teams of missionary uh, journeys. And... Um, Probably Mark is the first gospel written, and Mark's gospel moves quick. It's real. It's moving quickly, and, and and I don't, I don't, I don't think he meant for it to to be moving quickly as much as he understood the times that he knows that 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 time is of essence to get the gospel out, and he showed the exactness and and the immediacy uh, of the gospel, and that's what we need more of. We're pretty lazy in the church today. I'm not trying to speak against God's bride. I did tell you that I would look it up, and immediately and straight away are actually 36 times in this smallest gospel. It's only 16 chapters, and immediately or straight away, at once is what it means, uh, is in here 36 times. So it's pretty imperative. He's writing to uh, uh, the Christians in Rome or down the corridor of time to the entire church. And if you remember when we left last week, uh, we dug in a little bit here, about 15 verses. Um, John the Baptist has come, the forerunner, uh, uh, making straight the way of the Lord. Jesus has come and is baptized in the wilderness by him. And then John gets arrested. He's arrested by Herod. And Jesus begins his ministry uh, uh, of preaching. And his first words were, repent. Repent. Change your mind. Think differently. After meeting Jesus, we must think differently. Because we've been living underneath the sway of the wicked one. So the Bible would call us to think differently and understand that, that the way we have been living is completely wrong. It's upside down to Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 19, I know you are of God, but the whole world lies underneath the sway of the wicked one. Now that ought not to be so for the saint. It ought not to be so for us Christians to be underneath the sway. We should be listening to the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. In fact, Romans 8, 14, as I say so often, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the children of God. Not under the sway and led by this world or by what it, they call intelligentsia or what they call pseudoscience. We need to be led by the Spirit. So repent and then do what? Believe. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Commit to Him. 
and the good news, the good news that God's Messiah has come, and it's Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and we'll enter into this. Father, thank you. Thank you for your great mercy and your great grace which you have bestowed upon us. Thank you for the privilege to be able to break your word and to learn and grow so that we can go and do the work of the ministry. Pray that you would bless those that hear and obey. You would bless our time in your word and you'd help us to receive with meekness the planted word for the saving of the soul. We give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, verse 16. Let's read and then come back and make some comments. Mark 1, 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And he immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and, or excuse me, with his hired servants and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. We have, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commanded even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, excuse me, and Simon, those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he cleansed and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. 
However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Okay, back in 16, notice we've seen Jesus begin his ministry. Uh, John is in prison, and we see just in the natural Jesus living out loud. He walked everywhere he went, so it's not surprising that it said, And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And of course, they were fishermen. So you cast a net. That's what you do. You're a fisherman. They're two brothers. And then Jesus said to them, Come ye after me, the King James. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, there's some pretty amazing stuff here. Now, this is not, I don't believe, the first time that they've actually met. If you was to look at John 2, you'll see that in John 2, probably, probably, um, they have began to follow Jesus. Excuse me, it's John 1, 35. They began to follow. They were following probably John the Baptist. He got through in jail, uh, arrested by Herod, and now they're back fishing again, and he comes and gets them because now that they're, they went back to doing what they were doing again. And it says in John 1.35, And again the next day John, this is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples. We'll see that it's Simon and Andrew here in a minute. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and see, and them following said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, where are you staying? John 1.39, he said to them, Come and see. It's an invitation to follow, an invitation to a relationship. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, and the city of, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him who Moses in the law, and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Of course, Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And uh, I just wanted to show you that possibly they had already met while John was still in ministry, and they'd seen him, but they didn't follow him. They were introduced to him, but now that John is in jail, it's potentially possible that they that they went back to their dads and started fishing again, uh, and, and, and now he comes and sees them, and he bids them to follow him. Come after me. It means get behind me and follow, to be in the way with so, you know, it's interesting that Simon means this. He has heard. Listen, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we have to hear the voice of God to follow. And it means obedient one. He has heard 
or, or obedient one. And that's what we need to do. We need to hear and then be obedient. And I really believe that's really what is missing with us in the church today. Now, I know Jesus was completely obedient for us, and he gave us his position of righteousness. But in practicality, we need to hear the word and obey to be sanctified. So that's how we're supposed to be living now as we come after Jesus. And how do we come after Jesus? We're led by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he going to do if we come after Jesus and we're led? He is going to make them fishers of men, but he's going to make them become fishers of men. Now, listen to me, because listen, how do you do that? Well, in order to fish for fish, you got to cast the net after where the fish are at. So in order to fish for men or the souls of men, or it means to be man-faced or a human being, you have to use the, the bait that Jesus gives us. It's the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that we cast out the Word of God, and then they hear the Word of God, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Their conscience becomes strict or struck with the truth, and they have to make an open decision. Am I going to believe that or keep living the way that I've lived? They have to decide whether they're going to repent and believe the gospel, the good news that there's a Savior that died for all and rose again on the third day. Now listen, he says, come after me, come ye after me, follow me, and, and I will make you become. And really the word make there can be abide. It can be, I will appoint or band together. There's a lot of words that can be used. It's used in a really wide application. It actually means to yield. Or it could mean to ordain or perform. Or it could just be something simple like this. And I will cause you to become fishers of men. Jesus is going to teach us how to cast out his net and draw in souls to as we cast out the seed of the word of God, the truth of God, the good news of God, that the Messiah has come so that mankind can come to salvation. And it's just something that, that is just simply called discipleship. Discipleship and evangelism is a huge part of the gospel. I don't think you can separate them from salvation. It's not just to hear and believe, but it's to hear and be obedient. So you hear, you follow, you become more like Christ, and then you give that to others so that they can hear, follow, become more like Christ. And it's a repeating pattern of discipleship and evangelism. It's something that we constantly want to do. Now, it's interesting that in this culture, there would be an age where the children were going to school, and there would be an age where they would evaluate them and decide, the rabbis, the teachers of the law uh, would, would, would evaluate them and say, this one's good and this one's not. And they would send them home and they would be done. And the teachers would not choose them. The boys grew up wanting to be chosen by a rabbi. They grew up wanting to be like their rabbis. And when they were sent home, they would go back into business with their fathers. They would begin to do what the rest of their fathers did, which is nothing wrong with that. It's honorable. But they were not chosen by the teachers of the day, by the rabbis of the day. And then they get introduced to Jesus who comes and he's looking for castaways. He came and he looked for those that, and he chose from the back of the line, those that were not chosen by the other schools. In fact, one of the 12 that he chose was the only one that was educated, 
was Judas Iscariot. And he's the one that betrayed him. He's the only one that went to Hebrew high. Now, I'm not picking on schools. I'm not picking on anything other than pointing out the facts that the world is earning to sway the wicked one. And it trains us not to believe in God. It trains us to have a form of godliness, but to deny the power thereof. It trains us to put more stock in men than in God. And our hope is in God. Our hope is in the Messiah. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in the gospel of the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. Our hope is not in man. And I want to learn how to become a fisher of men's souls because my God sent his most prized possession to win souls. So if that's the biggest thing on his heart is to win souls, then as a child of his wanting to be like him and discipled by him, I should want to also win souls. And if his spirit comes and seals me and indwells me and gives me power and strength and might, it's not power, strength, and might to go do something else. It's power, strength, and might to continue with his work of fishing for souls winning souls so it's very important that we don't get sidetracked because God is on the planet saving souls and he wants us to follow him to come me after me to get behind him and do what he's already doing because he's already preparing the way so they're going to be become fishers of souls now this that word fishers actually means fishermen but it comes from a word that means salt and Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. See, we want, to, we want to lightly salt. We want to preserve others by giving them the truth. And it's interesting that it just comes from the word salt. I thought that was amazing. Verse 18 says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately did, straight away. And again, that's used 36 times, immediately and straight away in the short 16 chapters that Mark gives us. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Remember, these guys are called sons of thunder later because they were so zealous and wanted to call thunder down on some who weren't listening to them. Who also were in the boat. They were in a boat mending their nets. And they, after it was too early to fish in daylight, they fished at night. After it was too early in the day because the fish could see, they would mend their nets. They would prepare their nets for the next day of fishing, the next night of fishing. And immediately he called them. There's that word again. So he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with his hired servants and went after him. Now, It's important to note that they immediately followed Jesus when they were called. But it's also important to note that they didn't just leave dad hanging. Dad probably had lots of money because he's got some servants. It's mentioned in there that, that they were responsible about. They didn't just leave their elderly parent there in the boat. They left with responsibility. They left him with somebody that was still able to take care of the fishing business. And that really just tells us maybe that they had more money than, and, and they still left a lucrative business to follow Jesus. 21. Then they went, and you just watch it just keep moving, moving, moving is what he does in this. It's a very fast-paced movement. Then they went into Capernaum. 
Now, Capernaum is another uh, 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 town. It's probably the largest seaport on the Sea of Galilee, all around the Sea of Galilee with these seaports. This is probably the largest one, the most lucrative place, and it becomes the place where when Jesus has to leave his own hometown, this is the place where he makes his unofficial headquarters. And immediately on the Sabbath, Saturday, uh, uh, Friday at at, uh, 6, I believe, he entered the synagogue and taught. Now we know that there's a that there has to be quite a few Jews here. Synagogues uh, were ten Jewish families, and they would have uh, uh, a synagogue. Uh, and these started when they were in captivity, um, and they were away from the temple, and it was destroyed. They began to have synagogue where they could come together and and study the Word of God and learn about God uh, and repent to God. And he goes in to, to the synagogue and taught. Uh, and, and again, the word taught means just to teach. He was teaching, uh, and, and they were astonished. It amazed them that he's teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes are the secretaries or town clerks. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, they, they write professionally. In the Old Testament, they were the clerks or secretaries for the kings. But kind of like in, in, in the New Testament um, um, time here, the scribes, I believe, become those who would write down um, the priest, or excuse me, not the priest, the rabbis, the teachers' writings. So we could call that much like those who write commentaries. Now, I know for a fact that a lot of uh, uh, preachers do sermons and then they have somebody that comes in and transposes them on the paper and they write books with those. And, and that's kind of like a scribe too. And so th- notice what he's saying. He's teach- his teaching, they were astonished at because he taught them as one having power, authority, strength, one having mastery or jurisdiction. He had the privilege and delegated influence over the word that he was teaching, but he didn't teach as the scribes did because the scribes would teach what a commentary taught. The scribes would teach what a rabbi taught. Jesus is teaching the scriptures and pointing to the scriptures and teaching them about what's going on. He's not teaching commentaries. He's not teaching out of a relationship with men. He's teaching out of a relationship with Almighty God. And there's a huge difference. Those at that day, they missed Jesus because they were teaching from commentaries or what Gamaliel would sell or, or another rabbi. And, and Jesus was not part of their Hebrew high school. And you can see a lot of that in the book of John. They, they said, who taught this man letters? And so, listen, we don't need to prove that we're well-read in commentaries. We don't need to prove that we're well-read in today's literature by dropping names of, of Rabbi Gamaliel or Charles Spurgeon. We don't need to quote these men and what they have said. In our teaching, we should be casting our net out with the Word of God and quoting what God has told us. Quoting the Word of God. That's the net, the truth, the seed of the Word of God. Now, I'm not trying to pick on men that have went, behind, went before us. Men of faith that have, that have gone to be with the Lord. That's not my point. But quoting them 
should not be what we're casting out. We should be quoting the Word of God because it's the truth of God that's the seed of God that changes the heart of mankind. They need to hear that. We shouldn't be quoting commentaries. It should be the Word of God based upon the Spirit of God leading the man of God because Jesus has given us the authority of God to go and make disciples of all nations. Remember, it's Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority, all power has been given to me. Go therefore. He's transferring it to us and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. And do what? Teach them with authority. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that's what they were amazed by, that he was teaching them with the authority of God out of a relationship, out of knowing for sure who he was talking about and not according to the scribes. Now they're in the synagogue, right? He's teaching. Now verse 23, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, it's quite interesting. One, he says in 24, What have we to do with you? Now, it's either he's referring to all the demons or all the unclean spirits, or there's several of them in him, I'm not sure. But notice this, first of all, in the synagogue is a person who has a demonic spirit. Now listen, unclean means impure, morally lewd, specifically a demonic, foul, unclean spirit. And spirit, of course, is, a, is pneuma. We get pneumatic tools from that. It's pneuma. It's, it's a current of air. It can be used for an angel that's with God in heaven or a demon that's a fallen angel. It can be used for your rational soul, your rational spirit, or it can be used for the Holy Spirit. But it's defined by what is written with it. And here we're told it's specifically a demonic spirit. Now, what's interesting with that is that this man with a demonic spirit goes into the synagogue to, to do his cultural duty. And, 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 and supposedly you would go to a synagogue to hear about God, but he doesn't want anything to do with God. And he's in the synagogue. And he knows when the Messiah steps up, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He knew who he, he, knew who he was. And I'm telling you that today we have a lot of people in the church. I'm not saying they're demon-possessed, but they're in the church for no good reason. They're not there to hear about God. They're there to win and influence friends. They're not there to, to, to surrender and hear the good news and learn to become fishers of men and win souls. They're there for their own reasons, to feel good about themselves. They don't understand the reason they're called to Jesus is to become back under the authority of God, to be sent out to win souls for God, to build His kingdom, not to build our kingdom. So we have the same thing going on today in the churches. We have a form of godliness which denies the power thereof. 
and potentially many unclean spirits because the Bible does tell us that the spirit of Antichrist has went out um, to deceive the elect if it were possible. And so here's this unclean spirit, demonic spirit, and you're going to see that Jesus really wants nothing to do with him and silences him. He's in the synagogue. He cries out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you? And yeah, a demon spirit, darkness has nothing to do with light. Jesus of Nazareth calls him by name, knows exactly who he is. Did you come to destroy us? He knows his future. He knows he's going to be destroyed. Destroy means to perish. It's based on a word that means that comes from separation or departure or cessation. The demon knew that his time was coming. Does the church, do you know, saying that the, the, time, the signs of the time, do you know what is coming? Have you been in the word of God to see the signs of the time? Do you understand that times are short? That we need to immediately get up and win souls. And we need not be afraid because Jesus is with us. So the demon says, I know who you are. And he calls him the Holy One of God. This is messianic. He knows he's the Messiah of God. The demon knows it. The demon knows it. Listen to me. Do you? This is a typical question. You might ask somebody and you think it's fishing. You say, do you know Jesus? And they go, yes. And then you stop talking to him. I like to follow that up with, does he know you? I like to follow that up with investigation, not just that people know Jesus, because the demons know him and they disobey him. The demons know him and, and, and they don't follow him. The demons know him and they tremble. Look at Matthew's, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew 7. The important question is not, does, do you know Jesus? The important question is, is there a relationship and Je does Jesus know you? It's Matthew 7, 21, if you will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It might be an unclean spirit in them that's saying, Lord, Lord, I know who you are. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We need to do the will of our Father in heaven. We need to be, his will is that not none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Winning of souls. We, he wants us to become fishers of men. To win others by the gospel, by spreading the seed of the word of God. Many will say, it's 722 of Matthew. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. What day? The judgment day. Have we not prophesied in your name? They'll be boasting in their work. Cast out demons in your name. His authority, his character, his nature, and done many wonders in your name. This is his authority. That's what it means. It means his authority. His name means his character, his nature, his will. And many think they're doing according to what Jesus says, but they're not doing according to his character, his nature, and his will, not according to his authority, because he's left us authority to go and win disciples and teach them to obey. And then I will declare to them, Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So any other practice 
other than practicing righteousness, practicing following, practicing fishing, if you will, learning to cast the word of God and do the will of God for the glory of God, you might hear, be away from me, I never knew you. Uh, this is what he's saying, that if we're not practicing doing the will of God, the, becoming made fishermen for God, then we're practicing lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears, it's how, it's how he's speaking to us right now, we're hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One day we're going to see him. Right now the Spirit would say, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Therefore, whoever hears, it's a whomsoever, it's not just some, it's anybody who hears these sayings of mine, his word, and does them, obeys them, I will liken to him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock, the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man or the demons who hear and do nothing but tremble, who built his house on the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his doctrine, at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The same saying again. It's very important that we understand that, that we can't play religion. We can't just do what we want to do. That potentially we could be a person in, this, in the church that's just listening and doing nothing to follow and come after Jesus and do the will of God, but we're looking only for a hand up to do our own will, which is good old-fashioned flesh, good old-fashioned sin nature alive on the throne instead of God being on the throne and us being crucified with Christ, no longer living the life that we now live in the flesh. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Faith, confident trust that he's got this. Confident trust that he can deliver us across the finish line. But it's a constancy in obeying and following so that we can be pleasing to God. So this man's in the synagogue and who knows what for. Maybe he's in there because he has the spirit of Antichrist. Because he's got a demon. He's got a devil. He's unclean. And he's trying to disrupt others from hearing the truth of God. And sometimes that can happen because you see what happens when this happens in verse 25. Jesus rebuked him. Jesus doesn't say to somebody that's in there teaching with a bad spirit and talking with a bad spirit. Uh, he doesn't ignore him. He actually addresses what is said so that other people are not damaged by what he says. And he also doesn't want an unclean spirit being his promoter. Like he's on his side. And that's what happens a lot today. Is that we can know that somebody is a heretic. Or a false teacher. And instead of censoring them and admonish them. Which is what this means. To rebuke them. He, re he rebuked them and charged them not to speak. He said peace. He put a muzzle on his mouth. So he couldn't speak. 
Listen to me. Instead of doing that, since we're trying to build our churches, we have we have people that are rather good teachers in our churches today, and they go out and they give false teachers credibility by trying to go do a conference with them, by trying to go teach with them, and they give somebody who has a foul and unclean spirit a little bit of authority in the church when they ought not to just to build their own kingdom. They need to be rebuked. These, these false teachers need to be called out when they're not teaching the Word of God. And listen, I give permission. If I'm not teaching the Word of God, anybody is able to correct me and we'll reason in the Scriptures together. I don't know this Word perfectly, but I know the God of this Word and I'm allowing Him to perfect me. So he silences him. He puts a muzzle on him. He tells him to be quiet and come out of him. Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed, torn him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. He obeyed. He listened. He convulsed or he gasped. It's a spasmatic contraction, contraction, uh, and 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 he come out of him. Listen, Jesus tells the demon what to do, and he does it. He tells him not to speak, and he doesn't speak anymore. He's quiet. You know, today, and I don't mean to be mean. God could tell us to be quiet, and we would go right on speaking. Twenty-seven. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves. Something that's good to do and compare it with Scripture. Saying, what is this? What new doctrine? Doctrine means an act. It's instruction. What new teaching? For with authority. Notice what they noticed. They noticed the authority, the power. They noticed the... the the influence, uh, and it means the jurisdiction, the force, the privilege, they notice the authority. What authority, Greg? That he commands even the unclean spirits. He commands even the, the demonic spirits. And they obey him. They obey him. Demonic spirits obey him. Listen, it's it's a, quite a dichotomy, if that's the word we should use, that God has called us out of darkness and told us of his son Jesus, and the only place that's not obeying God is on this planet. Angels in heaven with God obeying angels that are demonic and fallen obey him the whole universe obeys him the water when he says peace be still the water is still and then he has given us a choice free will choice and whether we need to obey him or not and i would encourage you that salvation is coming back under the authority underneath his power into his house and learning to turn our hearts toward home and obey his word because every bit of it is good no matter what he says it's good it's good it's good for you 
He's going to work it out. He'll take care of it. We should obey. It's so important to obey, not disobey. Part of obeying is confessing when we're not being fishers of men. Confessing when we're not surrendering to the word of God. Obey. Listen to what it means. Obey here means to hear under. To hear under. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. To hear under as a subordinate. To heed or conform to a common authority. It means to be obedient too. Look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We'll read it, we'll read it perfectly in James chapter 2. Verse 19. Can't even find it. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? It's dead faith. If there's no obedience followed in in the faith, it is dead faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with works? And by works, faith was made perfect. See, we can say we know, we can say we believe, the demons believe, but they don't, they don't obey. So the proof that we actually believe God and have faith in God and trust God and are the children of God is to begin to obey God and ask God how to obey. And again, part of obeying is confessing when we're not. But we need to be moving in union in the right way that the Spirit is leading us to do the work of God, to become fishermen for God, to win souls. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. If it's only faith and say, I believe, it can be demonic faith. If it doesn't have evidence of faith that follows with obedience, learning the rules of his house, learning what his kingdom is doing, learning what his spirit is doing, learning how to continue in the faith and grow, with, and looking to obey and turn our hearts to growing in a love relationship, then it can be termed dead faith or demonic faith. But it cannot be only, I believe. Obey means to hear under, to subordinate yourself under the word of God. Verse 28, and immediately, again we have the word immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. They talked about it everywhere. When they see the authority of God and they see the work of God, people want to talk about God and his power. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, so they left church, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. So they're all hanging out together after church, having a little bit more fellowship. They leave the synagogue. Uh, but Simon's wife's mother 
lay sick with fever, and they told him about her at once. So now that Simon's wife's mother is in Simon's house probably means that all of her other adult children either abandon her or her husband's dead. But she's in Simon's house, so Simon is taking care of her in his house. Now, I don't know if you know that they, 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 they say Simon was never married, or at least the, 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 the apostate Catholic Church does, the false Catholic Church, and, and that he was the first pope, and that popes aren't allowed to be married. But this clearly shows in Scripture that Simon was married because we're talking about his mother-in-law who is sick with a fever. She has COVID-19. It's the coronavirus it's a fever. It's a great fever. The Bible says it's a great fever. And they told Jesus at once. Listen, no, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just talking off the cuff here. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her and she served them. Listen, listen. No, but it's a fever and she's really sick. It's not the COVID. It's, it's not the coronavirus. But, but listen. Jesus has got this. We need to be safe. We need to be smart. We need not to fear. I have to teach it because it's in the text. There's a fever. She has a fever. It's a great fever where she might die and Jesus just touches her. Man is not the answer. Do they have skills? Yes, but we need to look to God with our faith. We need to ask Him what we should thus do. Listen to me. When the COVID-19, when this one's over, there's going to be something else. Is it going to be another virus stronger? Maybe. Is it going to be something else? Yes, there's something else coming down the pike that you're going to trust men for. They want you to trust them. They want you to trust the government. They want you to trust anybody but Jesus. It's his hand that we need to reach and touch. Look at it. His hand, he touched her. This is what we need to say. We need to be touched by God, by the blood of Jesus. He took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. I mean, that's an immediate healing. She got up and began to serve. The same way, the, it's the same word for the angels ministering to Jesus after the devil left him. After he was in the wilderness for 40 days. And now she's serving him. And this is what the church should be doing. Is serving Jesus. Not serving ourselves. We need to be understanding that he has all authority. And all power. And all might. He is God almighty. The devil is mighty. A virus is mighty. But God is almighty. And he's the one. That if we have Jesus. And we know him. And he knows us then no matter what happens, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, to, uh, to live is Christ and his work and, and be fishermen for him, and to die is to see him face to face and no longer hear about him, but to see the famous one, to see the King of King and the Lord of Lords, to see our Redeemer, our kinsman Redeemer face to face and be with him forever, to cross the finish line, that there is supposed to be our hope, not fear. Dying shouldn't be fear. Dying should be our hope of being with our Lord forever. So we need to be wise. We need to protect 
And we need to make sure that we don't ever spread the virus to people who don't know Jesus and they would die. But we also need to trust that God has got this. He knows everything. He knows and laughs at these people who are causing these things, trying to produce one world government and take over and be God for us. They're trying to train our hearts to trust and follow them. And we have to stay focused on trusting and following Jesus the Christ, being led by his spirit, doing what we do because of what his word has commanded us and never shutting up. We should stand up, not shut up. But we should live out loud and love our neighbor as ourselves also. So she's sick with a fever. He lifts her up, heals her. She goes about serving. So no matter what you're sick with, as you're healed, get up and serve. Get back to the business at hand of being a servant, ministering to others. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. Now it's evening, and what does that mean? It means it's no longer the Sabbath. See, they couldn't come to him prior to that, but as soon as the Sabbath is over, probably 6 p.m. at night, people started talking about it, and it spread, and everybody's bringing them. Now they can go for a further distance without breaking the Jewish law. And they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed, unclean spirits. Now I don't know why the translators done this, the guy in uh, uh, verse 25 up in the synagogue had an unclean spirit, a demon spirit. And now we have this one that says possessed with a devil. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's fallen angels, demonic spirits. Now this one is um, a different word. It means to be exercised by a demon, vexed with or possessed with the devil. Um, but that's what the unclean spirit was, a demonic spirit controlling him, and Jesus casted him out and set that person free from that demon. And now he's going to do it some more, and they're coming to him with them. And again, I don't know why the translators chose to do it two different ways to kind of bring that confusion in here, but they're demon spirits. The same as in Acts 16, 16, if you'll remember, where the, uh, the the girl who did divination that followed Paul in the round, he finally exercised her and turned around and said, and said, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it's the word echo. It means to hold you, to make you do what you do. The demon spirit makes you do what you do. Say what you say. Live how you live. It exercises you. In other words, like when you go to do exercises, you have to do certain motions. Well, the demon spirit possesses you and exercises you. Holds you. And when it was evening, it was dark, they brought them all who were sick and demon-possessed, 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Isn't that interesting? They're gathered together at the door. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door. He's the door out of this place and the door into heaven. He's the gate. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. They knew who he was. I know Jesus. Does he know you? Are you obeying him? 
Are you endeavoring to obey him? He has complete authority over these demons. They cannot speak because he muzzles them. He muzzles them and doesn't allow them to speak. Thirty-five. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Do you? He got alone to a lonesome and desolate place, and he prayed. The word here for pray. And when you look up the word for prayed, it means to supplicate. It means to worship or make prayer to God. Listen to me. Because, again, there's nothing wrong with Christian music, worship music in the church. But we tend to act like that all of worship is music. And listen, it's a lifestyle. But but really, worship in the first place completely, in the most purest form, is in prayer. When we stop doing what we want to do and we bow down and come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, excuse me, and find grace to help in time of need. That's the most purest form of worship because we're humbling ourselves in the sight of God and we're coming to Him for help. And what father will not help and give wisdom to a child who bows down and asks for help? That's the most purest form of worship. Yes, it can be a song. But prayer is our dependency upon God. That's the greatest type of worship. Worship is a lifestyle. Bowing down before God in everything in your life is worship. Surrendering completely and learning to obey completely. Not just saying, I hear. Not just saying, I know. But obeying and going. So he goes out and prays. Do you pray? Are you spending time in prayer? Do you see the importance of prayer where you can get alone with God, spend time with God, hear from God, learn to articulate the voice of God and the ways of God, spending time in the word of God so that you can go out and learn to become fishers of souls, fishers of men. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now notice that Simon, first time you'll see him in the lead. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Simon is leading the pack. I think over in John when they first met, it was Andrew leading Simon. Now Simon's leading. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Would to God that everybody was looking for him for the right reason, because he's the Messiah of God, because he takes away the sins of the world, that we would come looking for him and searching for him, because he who searches for him will find him, as Simon and these did. But we may find him and him not do exactly what we want to be done. Notice what happens. But he said to them, so they come looking and going, hey, let's go capitalize on this. We got people coming. They're all over here. Let's go do this thing. They're, you're becoming popular and famous. And he's trying to get away from that. He's trying to finish the work that he's been called to do. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns. 
that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. He come forth to proclaim the kingdom of God, to proclaim uh, freedom to the captives. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now listen, I don't know if you noticed, but he keeps casting out demons. There's diseases, there's sicknesses, but there's a lot of demons in Jerusalem. There's a lot of demons over here in Galilee. Where are they at now? See, those same fallen angels are still here. They're still around. They haven't gone anywhere until the time when God will destroy them and cast them into the abyss. Now, yes, if you go into certain places in the Bible, you'll see that there's a few of them that left their proper domain and, and tried to not obey him, and he cast them on into the abyss already. And I believe the Bible teaches that out. But notice, he's casting out demons because there's a lot of spirit of antichrist and demonic activity everywhere. It's in the church sitting next to these people. And if Jesus wouldn't have showed up, he would have never showed his face. He would have just kept running interference and causing trouble. People are bringing demon-possessed people to him constantly. What do we do today? We just label it. We just call it something else. We just give some medication to it. People need Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Man is not the answer. Medicine is not the answer. Listen, I'm not striking down all medicine, but we cannot use it to heal the soul. We can't use medicine to heal demonic activity. We have to know what things are and call them what they are. And there's people running interference and renaming everything. They're recreating a whole new generation that does not know anything about God, does not believe anything about God, and changing who God is for those who do believe God. They're removing all the ancient boundary lines of the Ancient of Days, and he's the one that marked everything out. And it would do well for us to find out what he marked it, what he called it, how he said we can heal it, who his Messiah is, and how do we put the blood of Jesus across our door, our heart's door, so that we can be saved. So he's preaching in their synagogues in all of Galilee. That's all around there. There's all these little cities around the Sea of Galilee, a bunch of fishermen, and casting out demons. Again, we're using the fishing terms. Cast them out. And then we're given one of the examples Mark gives us uh, of one of the people that had diseases that he healed. Uh, verse 40. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now notice this, this leper had faith. He believed that he was the Messiah. He believed that if he was willing, he could do this because he's seen other people get healed. So he comes to him. Now a leper, uh, it means uh, one who has scaliness or leprosy means scaliness. It can be used as a type of, uh, in analogy, a type of evil or the influence of evil again like leaven. It's like a type of sin in the, in the church or on a person. Now, don't, don't, get, don't listen to what I said and say that I said that leprosy was sin. It's not necessarily caused by sin. Uh, today, most of the time, we call it Hansen's disease or something. I think it was 
lot more things uh, in the Bible, and you can go read about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what Mark did, and I'm writing to or I'm speaking to Romans or Gentiles, and you can just go read about it in Leviticus 14 uh, and some of the things that would need to be done about it. Um, and leprosy um, was again caused a person to be unclean. Notice we have an unclean spirit. This person is unclean in his soul. This person here is probably a sinner who needs salvation, but his body is unclean because of a sore growing on him and across him. But they were social outcasts and they weren't allowed to come to anybody. And he's risking his whole life by coming to Jesus. He knows that Jesus can heal him. He's putting all of his eggs in one basket and saying, either he's going to heal me or they're going to kill me. He knows where he's coming to. And he implores him and kneeling down at him, saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You can purge me and purify me. That's what make me clean means. If you are willing, if you desire in the Hebrew, it means to delight in. If you determine to make me clean, you can determine it. If you choose to, that's what he's saying to him. That's what these words could be uh, willing, can be changed to. What is your will? It's God's will to heal sick souls. None perish, but all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. Not all who are sick with leprosy or sick with some other malady will be healed by God, but God will use it for good. He still loves you. Don't give up on God because you haven't received a healing. Use where you're at to minister to others the word of God. You can still become a fisherman for God and learn to win souls to Jesus by your very condition 41 then Jesus moved with compassion stretched out his hand and touched him same way he touched Peter's mother-in-law took her by the hand now his hand touches a leper now see no priest would have done this no priest would have done this because they would have become unclean automatically and possibly transferred the leprosy. They would have had to go outside the city for at least seven days and not do anything. They would have never, I mean, a leper had to cry. If they came within so many feet downwind, they had to yell, unclean, unclean. They were social outcasts. And Jesus comes to the castaways and he picks them. Jesus comes to the leper of the soul, the leper of society, the leper who is unclean, and he touches them. He's willing. He desires that none would perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that all would come and trust in him for their soul's salvation. He touches him. I can imagine some of the boys are watching, and they're like, what? He just touched him. Maybe this isn't the guy we want to follow. Nobody touches lepers. And said to him, I am willing. Jesus announced his heart here. He was desirous. He was delighted in to heal him. Be cleansed. He spoke the word upon him and he purged him. He purified him. Not just, not just go and you be cleansed and someday you'll be better as some of our word of faith teachers try to pronounce. They just keep acting like it until it's gone. No, 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 no. Watch what happens. And he strictly warned him Oh, excuse me, 42. 
as soon as he had spoken, he spoke the word. Remember, he says, I am willing, be cleansed. He spoke the word. His spoken word is where the power is at. Immediately, the leprosy left him. The same way the demon had to leave. And he was cleansed. He was purified. He was purged. He was set free. No longer socially an outcast. No longer would he have to yell, unclean, unclean. He risked it all and got to Jesus, and Jesus set him free. And he will set you free. And whom the Lord sets free is free indeed. And he strictly warned him. Now pay attention to this. He sets him free. He heals leprosy. Nobody else has ever done this. And I don't see any case where people were healed of leprosy except for uh, Naaman, the uh, Syrian, in the Old Testament. Strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer for the cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them, as a witness to them, as something that evidential, that's what the word testimony means, something that's evidential, it's evidence given, a witness given. Listen, they're pretending to be the religious leader. They're pretending to have a relationship with God. They're pretending to heal leprosy and do the works of God. And he says to him, don't tell nobody, just go to the priest and show them that the power of God has showed up, that authority of God is here, and show them that you've been healed, and make them see the evidence that God heals leprosy. It was a testimony to the priest who were fleecing the flock and doing everything except for following God. However, 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. But he was outside in solitary, deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Listen. Again, we have free will choice. This man comes to Jesus and is healed. He's got free will choice of whether he's going to obey, and he disobeys. We don't have to go into why Jesus told him not to tell anybody. He disobeyed. Set free from leprosy, and instead of obeying him, he disobeyed him. The demons obey him, because they know who he is. They have no choice. You and I have a choice. We can obey or disobey. Has he set you free? Have you chose whether you're going to obey or disobey? Now, the reason we see is that Jesus was trying to continue his ministry, but the more that he has his ministry, you can see it throughout his ministry, and the more things that he does, the more they want to take him and make him king. They want him to rule on the throne now, and it's not his time yet. He came to, to die for the sins of the world. In his second coming, he's going to come conquering, and he's going to be a king of kings and lord of lords. I mean, he is that now, but he didn't come for that purpose the first time. He came the first time to die for the sins of the world. But with compassion, he wants to heal all. He wants to set us free. 
That compassion means the bowels of mercy. It means his bowels yearn. He felt sympathy inside. He died to, he, he, he felt so much sympathy. He died to cleanse us all spiritually because he knows one day we're going to get a permanent house in heaven and these bodies are going to wear out. They're not made to last. And sometimes he can get the greatest glory from a body that's broken and still preaching the truth, still casting the net of the word of God to cast the souls of men for the glory of God. No matter what condition your body is in, trust the Lord. But here, this leper who was healed still didn't obey. You would think somebody who could do such a thing and you believed in him that he could and asked him if he was willing and he said he was willing and that person touched you and nobody's possibly touched you for years because of your uncleanness and your leprosy and then he touches you and you still disobey him. reaches home, doesn't it? Because we all still disobey Him. We still make choices freely to disobey God. And we need to wake up. We need to wake up and learn to follow and obey Him, no matter whether we understand why He said, don't speak here, don't tell anybody, but go your way and just be a witness to the priest. He wanted Him just to witness to the priest as a testimony to them that the kingdom of God had come near. And He evidently didn't even go to the priest. The other thing I thought was really amazing is that he goes back, because of this notoriety, he goes back to a deserted place. And it, it's the same as 35 when he says he, he went and prayed in a deserted place, a solitary place, a desolate place, a lonesome place. It's the same exact word so where did it take him back to? It took him back to prayer. He had to go back to the place of his prayer where he was at in this solitary place. He had to withdraw and stay there because now they're going to try to take him. Now they're going to try to move forward in the timetable of God and he goes back to prayer. And when people aren't obeying, when people things aren't getting, it, that's the place we need to be is prayer. Don't, don't run to everybody else for help. Don't run to the government. Don't run to, run to prayer. That's the lonesome place, but it's a solitary place. It's a place we can draw near to God and he can draw near to us. And we can learn to trust and build this relationship with him. We can learn to obey him in prayer. Notice what happened in that place of prayer. Notice what happened in that place that he's at in prayer, um, which is where Jesus is at now making intercession for you and me. It says, and they came to him from every direction. They came to him from every direction. Now I love this word. Every time I see it, it's the word, the word came, because when you look it up, it means to come or go. It can mean to come to him or to go. And that's exactly what we need to do. It means to grow. It's an amazing word because it, it, it reminds me of when the disciples came and Jesus fed the 4,000 or the 5,000. What did they have to do? They had to come to Jesus and then go. And so it reminds you when it says, come, everybody comes to him. We keep coming to Jesus, but we come to Jesus to learn and to, to grow so that we can go. 
We come back and then we go again. We keep coming back to get equipped. That's what the, the service is for, the study is for. That's what we're doing here is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry so that we know how to cast our nets properly. We know when to speak and when not to speak. And we learn how not just to be hearers, but doers of the word of God. Come to Jesus so you can go to others. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you. Teach us to obey. We know you're with us always, even till the end of the age. Teach us to obey your spirit, to know you personally, and for you to know us personally. Lord, not that we would just say with a head knowledge, oh, I know Jesus, but we would experience your power, your authority, your moving in our heart, your changing of our spirit and our lives. And we would come underneath your authority in your house for your glory. And we would go and become fishers of men's souls. We know the enemy is out there. We know the unclean and demonic devil spirit is out there trying to steal men's souls. We pray, Lord, by the power of your spirit that we would be able to be a witness to everyone about you, about your blood that sets us free and that you're enough. Pour out your spirit upon us this day. Protect us and give us wisdom for the next virus, the next storm, that we would constantly look to you to be our help in time of need. We give you praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Lord bless you. And that concludes today's message on Who Am I? with Pastor Greg Tyra of Harvest Chapel in Williamsport, Indiana. If you're in the area, we would love to have you as our guest. Harvest Chapel is located at 418 Old State Road 28, Williamsport, Indiana 47993. We meet for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. Our prayer meetings meet Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Our Bible study meets on Friday at 7 p.m. Today's and previous messages are available on CD. If you would like a copy, please call 765-404-7203. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Who Am I? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? Because I